So I'm from Africa, and um, it's Daryl's suit. <laughs> it's got short legs. We don't have suits there. We wear loincloths. <laughs> but we got airplanes. <laughs> so, yeah, so thank you um, for allowing me to speak here. I'm speaking about my journey. I think all of, all of us and all of you and we're all on some sort of a journey, and my journey is the one of surrender. And uh, it's a very, very hard journey because surrender is probably the most difficult thing that I have ever had to um, encounter because it's just so ongoing. And I just, I just, I just never get to the point where, where I've arrived. So I've got, I've got slides. <laughs> I've set myself up for this one. Okay, that's my, that's my name. If you want to know how to say it, <laughs> Papa Bear drinking tea. I don't have a clicker, so I'm waiting for you guys. That's my family. Um, four kids, they're all up in the hotel room. We've got a caregiver looking after them, Leslie, my wife, over here. And next one, that's Talia, our oldest, 12, year, uh, 12 years old. Uh, 11, 11. Um, our, our second one, Rayleigh, nine. And there's Quentin, our only boy, seven. And there's our youngest, almost uh, four, Amaya. Yeah, so we, we'll, uh, and there's, there's my wife, Leslie. Um, we live in a city called Pretoria. Next slide. That's Pretoria, it's the capital of South Africa. And um, it's really the heart of what's happening on our continent. Uh, Pretoria is really a legislature city. So everything that's happening in our economy really happens there first and then it spreads into the continent. So it's, I believe, sp spiritually a very significant city. Next one, that's what Pretoria looks like in spring. We've got a, a beautiful tree that grows there all along the path, all, the, all along the roads. It's called the jacaranda. And in, um, in spring, it just the entire tree turns purple. Next slide will show you what it looks like from the ground. So absolutely magnificent. Uh, Nancy would say, wow, it, please come. Please come to Pretoria, Nancy. We'll, we'll show you. September is our spring, more or less. We'll show you that. And uh, that's our business. We, we collect waste. We manage it for our clients on their premises. We sort it. And you can see sometimes in very small little rooms. Uh, we employ many very, very, very poor people, people that can't find any other jobs elsewhere. They find out their ways into our business. And then we, we teach them how to just take something that's rubbish and turn it into something of value. That's a typical picture of typically what the working conditions are like uh, in the basements of establishments like this. Next one, yeah. Then we collect waste, the waste that we can't sort and we can't uh, recycle and we just take it to landfill. Next one. That gives you an idea, more or less, at a, at a hospital, what it's like to sort through hospital waste. And yes, we, our staff pick up needle pricks, and yes, our staff do pick up diseases. And uh, that's unfortunate, but that's, that's what happens when you sort through waste. Um, that's one of our sorting factories. We have about 1,600 staff across seven cities, and then the, the waste will come into a factory like this where it will get further sorted. And that's me, I had here. <laughs> so, 
and I'll pause there quickly. So, as you can see, I was, um, I was a confused young man, <clears throat> and <laughs> because I had hair, so, so when I lost the hair, everything started making sense. <laughs> but um, why, why that picture is so significant, it resembles all the, all the issues I had in my life. My dad could never hold a job. He, couldn't, he could never hold a business together. He, every, every business he put his hands to failed in startup stage. So it, it never really got off the ground. And it got so bad to a point where he just gave up completely. And he decided he's going to uh, spend the rest of his life on the couch, smoking cigarettes and waiting for his big... His words were, he's, big, he's waiting for his ship to come in. I don't know if that makes sense here, but it really means I'm going to wait for my big moment that's going to make me rich. And I saw my mom having to work many jobs, two jobs most of the time, sometimes three jobs at a time, just to get three kids through school, get them through university. And um, I remember back then I looked at my dad and I thought to myself, this is the perfect picture of what I will not become. And, uh, and then I went the opposite. I became... Uh, a very, very hard worker, and I decided that I'm going to become really, really rich. I'm not going to let my family through that same torture as what he did, and he was a lovely man. I never heard him swear. I never heard him shout. I never heard him say a bad word to my mom, to her, about her, or anyone else. A really, really, really good person, but <clears throat> there was just something that angered me that he was never willing to keep trying until he can provide for the family. So that pushed me in a direction of over-trying and decided that I'm going to work really hard to become really rich. So I did that, and uh, guess what I chose to do? Vacuum cleaner salesman. And my mom did warn me against that, but I did it. So, <laughs> because it's quick, you know. But what did I learn through that is if, I, if I'm determined enough, I can manipulate anyone out of their money. And uh, my selfishness drew, drove me to the point of manipulating people out of their money so they can buy a vacuum cleaner from me so I can become rich. But if I look back now, I can see that that's what selfishness does and nothing else. That's all that selfishness does. In our pursuit for rich, richness and wealth, we do that. I just did it at the elementary level, uh, robbing people out of, their, you know, out of their savings for a vacuum cleaner. But it's going to cost somebody else something if I want to become rich. So, so that's what I did. Um, I then got saved, and all of a sudden, I questioned all of this. You know, what does this mean? I, I, I follow Jesus, uh, yet I am manipulating people to buy a vacuum cleaner from me, and I really started having an internal struggle. And I don't quite know um, how all of those questions came to an answer, but... I realized I had to get out of selling vacuum cleaners at least. And I met another man who was a very successful businessman in South Africa, he's Raymond Ackerman, and he, he founded the largest retail business in our country. And he was 75 years at, uh, at that stage. But he chose to help me and um, help me along the way of becoming a businessman from a poor vacuum cleaner salesman to a, a true businessman. So, I started going to him for advice, and he just said to me, do what I tell you, don't do anything else, and if, as long as you do what I tell you, you can keep coming back. So here are my options, my dad on the couch or Raymond Ackerman. So I thought, if I just listen to Raymond and I just do what he tells me, things are going to work out pretty fine, and it did. So he would say, 
he'll focus on everything else. I must focus on the next step, and, I, and things will work out. So it did. And uh, year after year, things got better. Business kept on growing, and we made money. But something else happened at the same time. There was a, a, a small seed of a lie that the enemy planted in my heart that made me believe that I'm really, really, really special. And, uh, and I am special, but I believed I was a little bit more special than all the other special people. <laughs> so, so guess what happened? Um, I, I, became, I became proud. And my decision-making became a little bit more flippant. Um, I, I would stop praying about important things because I've now figured it out. Of course, there's a formula, and God has given me a head to think, so I think, and He's given me experiences to learn from and apply the wisdom, so I did. And I remember Leslie one day, I was going on a trip, and she asked me, did you pray about this? And I said, who prays about a trip? And she said, uh, you know, what has become of you? And that made me realize, you know, things are not the same. I am, I'm becoming proud in my decision-making, and... And then something happened. Um, a couple of bad decisions and our business started losing money. And we started losing a lot of money, you know, in years seven and eight. You know how fragile it is in business. You're managing cash flow really tightly. And then you start losing money. You start losing by far more than what you're making. You start eating into your creditors' money. You stop paying your to revenue services. And things just started going really, really badly. But then there was a moment in 2012... Um, I remember sitting in the garage, and I said, God, I, I need you in this. I, I actually don't know what I'm doing right now, and I don't think I have what it takes to pull this through, and I realize I'm not as smart as what I thought I was, and I'm actually not as special as what I think I am, and uh, would you please take over this burden from me, because things were going south, and it was going south quite quickly, and um, I remember back at Salvation when I when I chose to invite Jesus into my life as my king, I had to come to the end of myself, the realization that I don't have what it takes to actually live a proper life on my own. I needed help, and I needed a savior. And I remember in the garage that day, I felt the same in business. I actually need a savior right now. I need someone to come around me with, you know, with all the advice I got from Raymond and all the successes I've achieved and the Lessons I've learned, I still needed a savior. And uh, that was it. No magic moments, but things started changing. The business started making profits again towards the end of 2012. And uh, I started 2013 in a fast. And I remember I said to God, I am so scared of making this mistake again. Can you please tell me what it is that I need to focus my attention to this year? And God said to me, he wants me to give away. Now, the context was, is during the last two years, we took salary cuts. Myself and all my management took 30% salary cuts, so we were living on credit cards. So all I had was debt. Uh, I still owed the revenue services, and uh, the business was still not solvent. And I said, God, what do I have to give? And I felt God say to me, equity. And I said, equity. And I wrote it in my journal, and that was completely foreign. I showed Leslie, I said, this is what I feel God is saying to me. And she said, if this is what God is saying, he'll show you how. Stop scheming. Don't go scheme another thing. <laughs> so, so I tried not to scheme, and it didn't work. So, 
most of 2013, I schemed up the one after the next concoction of how to get God a shareholder in my business. He said to me, he wants equity, and I'm going to give him equity. And I went on this journey of finding a scheme to give him equity. And every time when I sit before God, I feel him say to me, wait, and he'll confirm it with scriptures. And I didn't know there were so many scriptures in the Bible that talked about waiting. But he showed me so many times through 2013, just wait, just wait, and just wait. Because I didn't know he had something else that he had to deal with, and that was... Um, it was the way that I was treating my family, and, and I, I couldn't, I, I wasn't treating my family well. So during 20, um, October 2013, um, I got really, really ill, and um, started going for tests, and after many tests, my doctor just said, look, you've got all this, all the symptoms of prostate cancer. You've got a massive growth on your prostate. I'm 38 years old. I've got a young family. And I walk out of that doctor's room realizing, you know what? I could be gone in a couple of months. What are my kids going to say? And I just want you to show that next slide. You know, when I walked out of the doctor's room, what I saw? <laughs> and this slide comes back. I saw the faces of each one of those kids, and I saw the face of my wife, and I thought to myself, if I have six months left, what are they going to say about me? Are they going to, are they going to talk about all the nights that I didn't come home for dinner? Are they going to talk about all the moments that I fell asleep, and Dad wasn't there to read a story? I wasn't there to pray with him. And they're going to talk about all the moments that I said I was going to be at home at a certain time, and I wasn't. And they're probably going to grab hold of the moments that I was there, and they're going to try and build memories of their lives around those little moments. But I realized that's not what I wanted. And as I walked out of the doctor's room, I said to God, I remember there was a story in the Bible of King Hezekiah who was, who was ill. And the prophet Isaiah came to him and said to him, get your affairs in order, you're going to die. And he said, God... And he, and he cried before God and spoke about all the things he did for him. And, but God, then God showed him mercy and he said to him, I'll give you another 15 years. And I said, God, I know there was this king in the Bible. You gave him 15 years. Can I ask you to please extend my life? And if you do, I'll make two promises. And I promised him I will not start another day in my life without him. I will seek him every morning of my life. And when I hear him speak to me, I will exercise Radical obedience. It doesn't matter what it takes. And the second thing is I'll honor my family. I'll, give, I'll be the dad and I'll be the husband that they deserve. And God knew he needed that uh, in order for him to do with my life what he needed to do. So, so that started. And uh, the next Sunday in church, I just felt God say to me in worship, my son, you have no cancer and your growth is gone. And the following week, I went for a whole day tests in hospital, and I came back, and I said, there's nothing. So whether it was cancer or not is irrelevant. What's relevant is what God's got my attention. And uh, I made some quick commitments to him. Now, I might only have been given 15 years. I'm five years in. I've got 10 years left. <laughs> how am I going to live that? And that's, that's what I want to share with you is how I started surrendering and what happened in my life through that. So that was the low point. And from that low point, it only started getting better. I immediately met another man called Franz Schiffernicker who did something similar. Uh, 30 years earlier, he also, out of desperation, gave equity to God. 
And he said to me, help me in the process and help me set up a structure to transfer equity to God. And at the time when everything was set up, I sat with the decision to transfer equity in a business that was at that stage 10 years old. We just recovered out of our uh, insolvent state. The business, the entire business was worth one rand. That's less than 10 US cents. <laughs> I couldn't transfer those shares. It's, less, it's worth less than 10 US cents, but I sat there with the internal struggle to transfer equity to God, and um, it was an immense difficult time. And out of the fear of disobedience, that's the only, the only thing that got me going to transfer those shares. So I transferred it, and I remember I sat before God, and I said, how much do you want? And he was silent. And uh, I then said, I said to God, how about 30%? 30 <laughs> percent of a business worth in 10 cents, less than 10 cents. <laughs> he was silent. So, so I gave him 30. But you know, I realized later on that number meant nothing to God, whether it was 1% or 100. What he wanted was obedience. And I felt that God just was just pleased with the fact that I was willing to respond and give him something, because then he had something to work with. <laughs> so, so that's where the journey started of inviting God into the business as a shareholder. He's a rightful shareholder. And it's a trust that, uh, it's, it was a nonprofit company we started that says this company uh, exists for the kingdom of Jesus. And that company owns the equity in our business. And that's when the adventure started. Because think about this, the God, the creator of this universe who made the earth and all its resources, the whole world, all the world economies put together is worth $80 trillion, but that $80 trillion is really just the fruit of stewarding an asset base. And that asset base is the earth. And God Almighty who made this asset base wants to be a shareholder in my company. Can you imagine the value proposition this? It's just amazing. And he wants to be my shareholder, he wants to be my mentor, he wants to be my partner. And that's really what happened. It's a journey of excitement, roller coaster adventure of God as the owner of all of this. It's a shareholder in the business. Every decision, we would say, what does the shareholder want? What is God saying? He's a shareholder. What does he want us to do? And it doesn't matter how ridiculous it is, we would do it because he's the shareholder and that's what he said. So I have never been more free in my life since giving that equity to God. The decisions I made, much bigger decisions, much lighter to carry. The uh, complexities of the deals that we get involved in is way more heavier than what I'm used to, but it's lighter to carry because it's a light burden, because he's there as my, my father who's become a partner in my business. And, uh, and it's just been an absolute adventure. So, the people that God sent, the networks of relationships, the opportunities that God would send, is just becoming so much more adventurous because I don't have to cook this up. I don't have to go scheme another thing. All I need to do is go sit before God, hear His voice, and have the courage to obey Him. And that's been the journey of surrender. Then sometime during 20, uh, February 2016, we got invited to a journey of generosity by a friend and uh, I've given equity to God, who can teach me anything about generosity. <laughs> so, so myself and Leslie, we go, what's this? And, 
And we just kept resisting. And this friend said, Bertie, would you trust me? So I said, I'll trust you. And we went. And it's been the most amazing experience. And we've, uh, Leslie and I have done eight uh, jogs so far. And the experience is God has been helping me through the journey of surrendering more and more and more of this business. But not just that, my life, my ambitions, my talents, my gifts, our kids, their futures, their education, their safety. It's, just, it's a journey of God peeling us like an onion of surrendering more and more of ourselves and everything we have back to Him. And as we do that, He rewards that with something. There's always something that He rewards it with, but that reward is always a level of freedom that, we, that we're starting to experience. And uh, sometime in 2017, God said to me one morning in a very, very gentle whisper, and he whispered to me, I now want control. And that was frightening to hear that. I, f I felt God whisper to me, I want control now. And uh, I didn't know what to do with it. I went to one of my good friends, John Jones, and I said to him, this is what God has said to me, he wants control. And uh, John said to me, don't worry, I'll help you. I'll help you structure this thing so you can give God control. And it took me a whole year of deciding that I will give him control. Now think about this, the business was worth one rand, 10 US cents. I gave him, I gave him 30%, it were, became worth millions. And now he's asking for control. I mean, it, it makes sense to you, <laughs> but it didn't make to me. Because now it's worth something. No heck, wait, I'm not going to give away more. This is worth something now. But if you think of the value proposition as he who did it, and it took me a whole year of internal struggle uh, to try and just get the courage together. And, but because of a faithful friend who just kept looking me in the eye and saying, brother, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Every second, three, third or fourth time I see him, he says, are you ready to do it? Are you ready to do it? So it took me a whole year to decide. And then I transferred equity and I and, and moved it up to 51%. But you know what? Now, now when we make decisions, we say, what does a majority shareholder want? <laughs> what does he want? You know what? He now controls this thing. And now the decisions just become even easier. Because if me and my, my, my board members and my senior management Many of us are believers, we hear the Holy Spirit, and when we feel, this is what the Holy Spirit says, we believe He speaks in stereo. If He says to me something and He says the same to someone else, we do it. It doesn't matter how stupid it sounds, we do it. And it's been an absolute adventure. It's, um, and it's not easy, because what if He asks for 100%? And I'm really, really scared of that day. <laughs> I'm really scared, I don't know, I don't know what that's, whether you can ask me that, but here, here's, here's what I'm busy dealing with. I ask God, who's this mammon you talk about? Who is this mammon? It's a mysterious name in the Bible. Who is mammon? And as I'm asking God this, he's slowly but surely starting to show me that mammon is a spirit that wants to lure my heart away from following after God's heart to following after something else. And mammon has tools and gifts that he brings. And the, the gifts that he brings is wealth, recognition, power, and influence. And he continues to just scatter them at my feet. And he lures me into these things. Because he knows as soon as I go after recognition, 
then my heart will move away from falling off to God, and eventually I will worship Mammon. And all this time, I have been worshiping God, falling off to Him, but enjoying the recognition that a, the business owner status gives me. Enjoying the recognition of, you know, the, the, the people that know us and, and the business community and the influence and the lifestyle we can live and the ability to send kids to private school and live on a golf course and have a little airplane. And all of those things are just things that Mammon can use. And uh, slowly but surely, God is peeling us away from worshiping those things to only Him. And you know what? He can ask for 100% because it's His. And, and we should obey when He asks us. But I've learned that God is gentle. He's never forceful. And He will only ask me what He knows that I can bear. Uh, he won't ask me for more than that. And uh, that's really the journey I wanted to, to tell you about is the journey of surrendering to, to God and and giving up all the stuff that Mammon throws at us, and especially recognition. And uh, when you give away control of your business, that's the easiest way. No, it's not. It's the most difficult way, but it's, the, it's probably the only way to start the journey of giving up recognition. So, thanks for your time. <laughs>